Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. I first met Linda Braithwaite when I had been given a computer from the National Federation of the Blind, and I was way excited and way clueless because I had no idea how to use JAWS. And so Linda came over to my house several times and showed me how to do it. She was the assistive technology specialist for the Center of the Blind in Utah, and she was a, she was a big help. But I think when I got to know her really well was when I started teaching cooking at the Center for the Blind. I had graduated from college, and that was my first job. And actually, Linda had had that as her first job when she first started at the Center. So she was a huge help. I'd call her up and ask her how to how to teach something, and we'd also go over to her house several times and practice different skills. And she was somebody that you could just talk to for hours. She had a little bit of vision, and so um, she had a really bright, bright home, and, and those of you who are listening with low vision will appreciate this. Her bathroom had lights above the vanity, lights above the sink, and then a big overhead light. And she had this mirror that came out from the wall. There was a medicine cabinet behind it, but it came out from the wall. And it was so much fun because I could go over to her house and I would always pick whatever jewelry I I really wanted to see on myself. And I'd go and look at myself in the mirror and in her house. She was just a really, really neat person. One of the highlights of Linda's life was her 20 year tenure as a member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Now, to my understanding, there have been three blind people. I I could be wrong. There may have been more, but as far as I know, there have been three blind people that have been members of the choir, and Linda was one of them. Um, And the speech that you're about to hear is one that she gave to the American Council of the Blind in 2005. She was the keynote speaker. I think we were in Las Vegas that year, and she was their keynote speaker, and it's a, it's, it's, it's a fantastic speech. I think it's one of my favorite speeches on disability that I've ever heard because it's somebody that's doing what we all want to do. They're living a happy, normal life, and they're being successful. And in her case, she was achieving her dream of being a member of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Um, on the video, she plays some tapes of her singing, which are way fun, but that, that audio wasn't streamed through the main recording, so it kind of kind of sounds a little bit faint and distant. So if you stick around to the end of the podcast, you will get to hear a a good recording of her. She and a couple of friends did a Christmas album, and there's a beautiful version that they did of a song, I believe it's called Angel's Carol. So, and it's just one of my favorite pieces that I've heard her play, and so I include that. When I do these podcasts, I, I love doing them. I love getting to know people, and that's a huge motivation for me. And I also love the idea that we, as, as we hear about each other's stories as people with disabilities, we bring hope that even though having a disability can be a pain sometimes, it doesn't have to prevent you from having a happy life and a successful life. And sometimes, I think oftentimes, um, our disabilities allow us to learn some really beautiful lessons. 
So when I do these podcast interviews, I I do them for me because I love doing them, and I also do them for the somewhere around 250, hopefully maybe more as, as time goes on, but 250 of you who are listening. But this time, I'm not only publishing this one for all of you who are listening, but I, I want to dedicate um, this interview to my friend Linda. She passed away in 2010, and I would give so much if she were here to do this interview in person. She had a profound influence on my life, and um, since her passing away, I've become a mom. And I would, I would give so much to be able to take my kids to her home and have a meter and spend time with her and I remember one time we were going to do a, a cooking lesson and so we brought up groceries um, and my, my Tyler was with me we brought up some groceries and she said have you guys eaten and we said no and so we uh, we ended up staying and she fed us soup and we talked till like one in the morning <laughs> and came back the next day to cook again so she was just a beautiful beautiful person and um, I hope you enjoy this interview, and I hope you enjoy the, the song afterwards. Now you talk about putting people first. This next presentation will put a person in front of you and a story in front of you that I think you're going to take away and remember for a long, long time after tonight. I, I heard this story first in the state of Washington. I was up attending their convention. Oh, are there some Washingtonians out there? All right. I was wondering why it was so noisy out there. <laughs> I first heard this story up there, and as it was unfolding in front of me, I thought, this is something the ACV membership not only has to hear, but is going to truly love to hear. It is about uh, Linda Braithwaite, an ACB member, president of the Utah Council of the Blind, active in her, her Utah uh, agency for the blind, and her uh, singing for 20 years in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's got to be one of the most respected choirs anywhere in the world. Linda is going to tell us about her, her experiences, about how this came to happen to her, about what it was like being a blind person in the choir. I now introduce to you Linda Braithwaite to give a presentation, A Song in My Heart. President Gray, and distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, I'm truly honored to be here. When I grew up, I used to wake up on Sunday morning hearing that wonderful, fuzzy, soft, mellow sound of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir on the CBS radio affiliate in my area. When I heard the closing words of that broadcast, which said, May peace be with you this day and always, I knew it was time to get up and get going and go to church. We had two Tabernacle Choir albums in our home. We had the Lord's Prayer and a copy of the Messiah. Remember with the Philadelphia Orchestra, that wonderful old recording. Actually, 
The predecessors of the Tabernacle Choir existed long before the Tabernacle. It's probably the longest continuous broadcast in the world, beginning now its 74th year this next week. It started in 1847 when the Utah pioneers first arrived in the Salt Lake Valley, built a bowery in the center of the valley, and held their first meetings. At that time, there was a choir, and it has continued, including tours to Chicago and New York and, and to Europe. In 1929, it began the broadcast from the tabernacle with one microphone suspended from the ceiling. The announcer had to stand on a ladder to announce, and KSL Radio had to go off the air for one minute while a runner ran from the KSL studio to the tabernacle and installed the microphone. <laughs> the broadcasts are not a religious service, but simply a broadcast of music and spoken word. And when I was growing up, the spoken word was that mellow, dulcet voice of Richard L. Evans. I went on an LDS mission, a, a church mission, for two years. And I remember knocking on doors and having people tell me, oh yes, I belong to Richard L. Evans' church. I listen to him every Sunday morning. <laughs> and I'd say, oh yes, that's my church. Then I remember the choir came to Louisville when I was on my mission. And of course, afterward, the audience lined up to meet the conductor and members of the choir. The missionaries lined up to meet Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> the first line person was Marianne Fisher. She entered the choir in 1976. I was the second one in 1979, and Diane Brown was the third one in 1980. We have all since retired from the choir after 20 years of service and have been grateful for some of the experiences that being in the Tabernacle Choir helped us to have. Requirements for the choir, first of all, you must be a Mormon. That helps. Hence the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is its real name. Also, a person must be, at the time I joined, it was age 30. Now it has been reduced to age 25. He wanted the prettier young ones on the camera, I think. Of course, musical experience, choral experience is a very, very important part. And in my case, and as well as Marianne's and Diane's cases, Braille music is essential. Braille music and good Braille literacy. And being the poor person I am, I didn't have one of these newfangled devices, so I hand-copied on a Perkins Brailer every piece of music that we sang. And when I left, I had two full-file drawers of hand-copied music. I was really glad to get rid of that and throw it away, so I had to ruin my file cabinet. But Braille music and regular Braille is essential. You see, it was a televised... It is a televised broadcast. And so every choir member... If we're, if we're not memorized, hold up a folder. And inside the folder, of course, is, oops, got upside down, is all their print music. Well, that's really interesting, but we had to look like the rest of them. So we had to stand with the music up as they would hold it and then read with the other hand. We did a lot of improvising as far as quick shortcuts and, and uh, 
That's why I didn't save the music. Nobody else could read it. <laughs> but I remember many hours of transcribing other languages, Latin and German, and, and even on our Jerusalem trip in some uh, Arabic and, and Israeli. So we had done so many things. Of course, another requirement, they like it if you have a little bit of talent. Uh, that sort of... <laughs> And choral experience is also extremely valuable. And I can't emphasize enough, at least in my case, and I know that in the others, you really need to have good mobility. And I'm serious. When you go all over the world, you don't get a chance to get a mobility instructor in Finland or Holland to come out and orient you to the hotel besides you're only there one night. So we learned a lot of really quick techniques for just getting where you needed to go. And I used that cane and that sense of direction as much as anybody. Even in the tabernacle, there isn't a square corner in the place. It's egg-shaped. It is uh, like a great big giant overturned bathtub. And the ceiling is dome-shaped. And, of course, the loft where the choir sits is at the end of the oval. So everything is rounded. Everything is curved, including the steps. And the steps are in three, four times. So you have a wide step, one, two, and then a little narrow step, three, one, two, three. And it was, it was very interesting. And the other thing you have to have in the Tabernacle Choir is a sense of humor. Some of Jerry's favorite slips were called mint slippers. That's called insert mouth and insert foot in mouth. And he did that quite often, and I caught him once. I did. We were singing choir to do it. He says, don't sing the dot on the note. Just put a line through it. Don't sing that. Just give silence there. So as we were singing, and I don't even know if it was that song, but it was something like that. And as we were singing along, he kept hollering, Sopranos, don't sing the dots. Sopranos, don't sing the dots. You know where I'm going. So there was a break, and I couldn't help it. I held up my braille copy, and I said, So if I don't sing the dots, what am I going to sing? <laughs> I got him. It was so funny. He usually has a comeback, and he didn't. He took his baton and acted like he hit impaled himself and <laughs> staggered off the podium. <laughs> Let me describe the audition process in the Tabernacle Choir. First of all, there's a huge application, and most of what it emphasizes to one is that there is a gigantic time commitment. You're expected to be at rehearsals Thursday nights and Sunday mornings, plus the Sunday morning broadcast, and you're committed till 12 o'clock on Sunday morning. That didn't always happen, but you had to be available. Then often there were Tuesday nights, and then there was always the recording sessions and the concerts, and you needed to be available to take vacation and go on tours. So it's a huge time commitment, and that was the first thing that they emphasized. And they also said, Are, do you have any disabilities? I remember when I was growing up knowing somehow that blind people were not welcome in the Tabernacle Choir. I don't know if that's really true, but I remember knowing that, and I don't know how I knew it. I just know that there weren't any until Marianne came. And because she did well, and she knew her music, and she, did, she was a leader, I was able to come. I, that's a sad commentary, but I'm sure that that's why. Because when I started the process, I remember not hearing, so I called the office, and... 
I got a message from the secretary that said, well, we don't know. We already have one blind person, and we just don't know if we can have another one. We need to check on that. And I said, oh, well, I've just had eye surgery, and I'm really doing a lot better, and I can see to walk around. <laughs> oh, and I got an application the next day. So it really did matter. And, of course, because I behaved myself, others were welcome. And, and it matters how we do and how our skills are and how hard we work and how much of a leader we are. So the audition process then went on. We had to submit a tape audition, which involved extremities of vocal range plus some singing of peace that you chose. Then they gave a hymn, and you had to sing it a few bars with vibrato, and then you had to sing it without vibrato. There are times when a person needs to be able to do that. Then the live audition. Oh, I'll never forget it. I walked into the room, and there were the two conductors, the, the conductor and the associate conductor, and a couple of section leaders, and the vocal coach in the room, and they were telling jokes. It was great. I, I remember telling someone after I finished, well, if I don't make the Tabernacle Choir, at least I had a really good experience in the audition. But they, ha they, would, they would play two notes, da-dum, and you had to find one to harmonize, dum, or something. And then they had, so again, a test of range. Then the last thing was the sight-reading exercise. Uh-oh. Well, Gerald Otley was very creative. And so he had the vocal coach play a four-measure phrase on the piano once. Then she played an accompaniment that had absolutely nothing to do with the, the, the melody, and I was to sing that. Well, that was fine. I did fine until Jerry said, double the length of the phrases. <laughs> but I guess I did it because I made it. There was a theory test, and I remember saying to, to Gerald, yes, I'll take that. I was a theory major, and he said, I don't think you need to do that. So I didn't have to do that part, but most... Most of it was key signatures and time signatures, and if you'd sung, you really didn't have much trouble with that. Now, let me tell you a little about choir life. Every Thursday evening, as I mentioned, we rehearsed for the Sunday morning broadcast. Thursday evening, 7.30, unless there was a major holiday that fell on that day. And every Sunday morning, we were expected the tabernacle in time to change into the choir uniform, and then we had to be in the loft at... 7.25 to do our individual warm-up and then we had corporal warm-up at 7.30 and then announcements and the usual and the rehearsal for the following broadcast as well and then actually touching up the pieces for that morning, then a facsimile run through with the cameras and the spoken word and the whole thing and then we had a little break and then actually the broadcast on Sunday morning and of course Tuesday evenings were uh, doing the same kinds of things if there were heavier works that needed a little more time we'd have Tuesday evenings rehearsal or if there was a big concert or a tour coming up we'd often have Tuesday we often had special broadcasts we had special guests come and, and conduct we did a later recording of the Messiah with Sir David Wilcox he came and conducted a broadcast as well conducting an album of the Messiah which I hope will be given as a door prize because I brought one so, I'm going to ask Mr. Doudna to roll the first tape. This is the same broadcast that Sir David Wilcox conducted, but the piece I want to tell you about, the piece is called Waters Ripple and Flow, and on our tour to Eastern Europe, 
it was shortly after the Berlin Wall had come down and there were many people who had not heard this piece it's a Czech folk song it talks about a faithless lover which really means freedom and so the song was prohibited by the communist regime and after the wall came down of course the new governments took place and it became a democracy and this song had great meaning we sang it in Prague and many of those people had heard it for the first time in 40 years I want you to hear that song it's a lovely piece and also I want to tell you a little bit see I think I mentioned that the tabernacle is not straight the steps are uneven and if you have to negotiate them during a broadcast you really don't want to fall on your face in front of an audience of a few thousand so I remember sitting on about the fourth row up on the aisle and I need to walk down and stand by the piano this is a piano piece and so we, we created a trail of hands instead of using a cane which would have been clanky against the seats I took one hand and they passed me the next hand and the next hand and at the bottom was sweet Sir David Wilcox who took my hand in his little cool one and then escorted me around his chair and then I could walk forward to the piano but it was a wonderful little experience to get to shake hands with this great man even if it was <laughs> Mr. Dodd would you roll tape please Elliot, he's a hunk. love this piece. Anyway, let's go on. There are other broadcasts. I remember during the Gulf War, we had special broadcasts. We also sang a special broadcast during the 9-11 crisis. 
the Tabernacle Choir was scheduled to sing a concert for an insurance company at that time. <clears throat> the concert obviously changed on that day, and they sang a very tender and moving and peaceful. There are also concerts that honor specific types of events, and we had Disability Awareness Week in Utah. And guess who got to be the disability person? Anyway, so they even had a song on the broadcast that honored disabilities. This lady wrote this children's song, and one of the local arrangers, thank heaven, salvaged it, and it's, it's a passable <laughs> music. But we'll roll that tape, and you can hear this little piece about my spirit knows no handicap. Let me tell you something interesting about this. If you could see the video, they did a beautiful job with the cameras. While I was singing this, they had a gentleman who did signing in front of me. And then one of the shots on the camera, it's really moving, is you see the conductor's hands directing, and you see me in the background in the middle, just tiny. And then on the other side of the screen is the hand, the sign language, and it's absolutely beautiful. I wish you could have seen that. But that was one of the more touching things. Rehearsals were very interesting times because... I had to have the music ahead of time so that I could copy it. And I had three people during my tenure in the choir who dictated every single note. I had all the fun. They had all the work. We spent the same amount of time, but I at least got to sing. They didn't. But I, I was a leader in rehearsals because I knew braille music and because I could read braille fast. Extremely. I, don't know how, I could not have done it without it. I just couldn't have. I don't know. There may be others who will figure out other ways but I couldn't have done it without Braille. <clears throat> we had 
I'm trying to answer a lot of questions that people ask me. We have uniforms in the choir. We wear several different costumes. We have some shorter traveling type outfits. We have some long black skirts with different colored blouses. We have several formals. When we were going on our tour to Northern Europe, we got a brand new white fluffy organza dress with taffeta lining. And it had a drapey, capey top and a V-neckline. Unfortunately, uh, the dress committee saw it and said, oh dear, that neckline's a little too low. You need to raise it just a little. But somebody got the instruction wrong and they lowered it. <laughs> so they put a rose right in the middle. <laughs> the thing that makes it even funnier is that the first concert on that particular tour was in Bergen. Wonderful concert hall. And the entire proscenium above was mirrored. <laughs> oh, you guys are quick. <laughs> so you looked up and all you could see was row upon row of cleavage. <laughs> we really did have beautiful uniforms. They, they spent a lot of time. <laughs> Most of them are really very lovely and modest. <laughs> and actually, if they're going to remake that one and reline it, and I think they'll fix it. But it was, it's a wonderful dress, and we, had, we, had, we looked very good, very professional. And, of course, tours and performances allowed us to be... We had, on tour, we had these big choir garment bags, and, and you had your number on the garment bag, and, of course, they all looked alike. So you had to put something on there and, and find it. it. It's an interesting life. I was privileged on a number of different choir tours to be part of the publicity committee so that if there were newspapers or television stations that needed interviews, I was one of those choir members who got to be interviewed. And one of the most touching experiences I can remember is standing in front of the Bolshoi Theater in Moscow and an interviewer talking to me, and she said, when you sing, do you think of God? And this scaredy-cat little me, I thought, ooh, I'm in a nation that just is waking up from communism. Oh, do I dare say God? Oh, dear, I don't know. And I said, oh, yes, but oh, I feel such a sense of history, and I really love it, and it's just great. And, and then I kind of heard in the back of my mind a little twinge of cocks crowing, and I felt a little bad. You can bet that the next time anyone asked me that, I was quick to talk about God and his experience with me in that choir. I cannot tell you how many times he helped me learn music, get it copied when there was no way, and to get places that I needed to be when there was no guide. On our Eastern European tour, I was also a soloist, and in the Hungarian concert hall is the opera house, and the choir was in those famous white dresses again, and we were really beautiful. Behind the choir, this is the few halls that actually had a curtain in front of us, and behind the choir was a blue solid wall, and then above the choir was this giant gold chandelier, and when the curtains opened, at the whole audience went, because ah, here was this giant choir in white with the blue behind the gold chandelier above. And I got to sing the solo that night in one of the early songs in the piece, in the, in the concert. One of the wonderful things about that was that the song talked about 
prophetic joy. We sing prophetic joy. We sing of lofty ideals. We sing of love. And I was called backstage during the rehearsal by the associate conductor and the vocal coach. And they said to me, Linda, this is going to be televised tonight. There will be wires all over the floor. You don't have to sing this song. Someone else can take the solo for you. You really don't have to do it. And I thought, I'm not going to do my solo? Sure, right. So I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm just fine. They insisted that I have a guide to the microphone, and actually it kind of did me some good because people really knew, and they applauded louder because maybe they felt sorry. I don't know, but I really <laughs> got a little more attention. But people did um, realize, here's a blind person out here singing the solo with the choir. And I got on national 6 o'clock news in Poland. I mean, just... You you do. You make an impact as a blind person if you get out there do something. And it doesn't be the tabernacle choir. It can be a community choir. It can be a local drama club. It can be working with your Red Cross. It doesn't matter. We need to get up there and be in front of people doing and having our skills and functioning and being great. That's what we need to do. On our tour to Israel, one of the highlights for me was in the Jerusalem Center. Brigham Young University built a beautiful center on the top of the hill overlooking the city. There are windows all the way around the southern part of that building, so anywhere you stand in the main auditorium, you can see the entire city of Jerusalem. We were invited to sing a concert there one evening with many leaders of nations. There were people in that room who had not been together in the same room for 30 or 40 years. And they were sitting in that room. And we didn't fit, of course, in the front. So we were all the way across the front and all the way up the sides. And we sang songs in their tongue. And we sang songs of peace. And those pieces are still in my mind and in my heart. And as I look out over our organization, I say, there are times when we aren't peaceful with each other or with other organizations. And I wonder if maybe we can find a song that would help us be peaceful in our organization and with others as well. That, that night, well, I can't say that maybe it had a huge impact considering events now, but I think for a few moments there was peace among those nations. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to have you hear a little bit of one more tape. It's a, a piece about peace. I'm a part of a quartet that is singing on the broadcast. Go ahead and roll that tape.
Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know that there is a song in every single heart and that we need to get out there and sing it to the world. May peace be with you this day and always. Now, ACB, let's get up and get going. Ladies and gentlemen, Linda Braithwaite.
Thank you for joining us on Ability Stories. Please review this podcast in iTunes. To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.